0: Good afternoon. Um, I want to just thank God, and I want to thank you. I mean, everyone's really been so um, gracious, gracious indeed, this uh, morning as we get together and uh, continue in God's word. Um, it has been, and indeed it is a wonderful um, series that we're going through. One that um, I think across the board, we, will, we all acknowledge has been an interesting and um, revealing series just as we look through the revelation of Jesus Christ Um, let me just go straight in looking at the time as well, considering that, um, the clocks have just, you know, sprung forward this morning and, um, you know, giving thanks to God for these times and for these seasons. Let's set the context for today's section. Um, we saw last week as we continue in apocalypse now, um, judgment leading up to, um, up to this point, up to, up to today's section that we're looking at, which I'll read in a moment. And we saw God removing all injustices and everything that opposes his will at the end of Revelation chapter 20, um, if I may just quickly read one or two verses there, then death, And Hades were thrown into the lake of fire this is the second death the lake of fire and if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life he was thrown into the lake of fire just basically to tell us just to set where we are that's those events have taken place before we now get to today's section Um, and death there Those remaining after this would be those whose names were found in the Lamb's Book of Life. Just to set the context again, God is actually doing his will. He's realizing his purpose. It's like setting out from here, I want to get to the mall, the Lewisham mall. And as I step out, it starts raining, there's police, there's ambulance, they've blocked the road, and there's, there just seems to be no way of getting there. But my purpose doesn't change. I'm determined I want to get to that more. And um, up to what I just read, there have been so many things standing, raising themselves up to oppose and work against the will of God that God all along, all from the beginning, when we read back in Genesis of God talking about uh, making the heaven and earth and fulfilling that and seeing that it was good, things have risen up, stood in the way, as we have experienced. But quick flashback to Genesis and we see now God is redeeming all that he has purposed and intended in a new heaven and earth. So with that in mind, let's read the text that we're walking through today. Um, And again, thank you for, um, uh, Pastor Evan, for offering to read that. I thought, let me just read this just to let myself in gradually into the text and um, perhaps calm down a bit having arrived pretty late this morning. But let me just read. And um, please stick your noses in your Bible, open your phone. <laughs> and as we turn to Revelations chapter 21, we're reading from Revelation 21, from verse 1 to Revelation 22, verse 5. Then I saw a new heaven, And a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them, and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. And then he said to me, write this down, for what I tell you is trustworthy and and true. And he also said, it is finished. I am the Alpha and the Omega. The beginning and the end. To all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of the water of life. All who are victorious will inherit all these blessings, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. But cowards, unbelievers, the corrupt, murderers, the immoral, those who practice witchcraft, idol worshippers, and all liars, their fate is in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. Then one of the seven angels who had seen who had who held the seven bowls containing the seven last plagues came and said to me, Come with me, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. So he took me in in the spirit to a great high mountain, and he showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. It shone. With the glory of God and sparkled like a precious stone. Like jasper, as clear as crystal. The city wall was broad and high. With twelve gates guarded by twelve angels. And the names of the twelve tribes of Israel were written on the gates. There were three three gates on each side. East, north, south and west. The wall of the city had twelve foundation stones. And on them were the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. The angel who talked to me held in his hand a gold measuring stick to measure the city, its gates and its wall. When he measured it, he found it was a square as wide as it was long. In fact, its length and width and height were each 1,400 miles. Then he measured the walls and found them to be 216 feet thick, according to the human standard used by the angel. The wall was made of jasper, and the city was pure gold, as clear as glass. The wall of the city was built on foundation stones, inlaid with 12 precious stones. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx the sixth, Cornelian, the seventh, Chrysolite, the eighth, Beryl, the ninth, Topaz, the tenth, Chrysoprase, the eleventh, jacinth, the twelfth, Amethyst. The 12 gates were made of pearls, each gate from a single pearl, and the main street was pure gold, as clear as glass. I saw no temple in the city, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. And the city has no need of sun or moon, for the glory of God illuminates the city, and the Lamb is its light. The nations will walk in its light, and the kings of the world will enter the city in all their glory. Its gates will never be closed at the end of the day, because there is no night there. Lovely. Lovely. And all the nations will bring their glory and honor into the city. Nothing evil will be allowed to enter, nor anyone who practices shameful idolatry and dishonesty, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Then the angel showed me a river with the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. It flowed down the center of the main street. On each side of the river grew a tree of life. Bearing twelve crops of fruit with a fresh crop each month. The leaves were used for medicine to heal the nations. No longer will there be a curse upon anything. For the throne of God and of the Lamb will be there. And his servants will worship him and they will see his face. And his name will be written on their foreheads. And there will be no night there. No need for lamps or sun for the Lord God will shine on them and they will reign forever and ever. May the Lord bless the reading of his word and us as we hear and even give heed to it. Let's pray as we um, go into this, this, this afternoon. Lord, thank you again. What great comfort. What great anticipation. What great hope you lay before us Lord reading of this now being let in to get a sneak preview we're seeing a trailer Lord even of what awaits those who overcome we're seeing you Lord even in the midst of your people oh what great joy and anticipation to know that we come and you come Together, married in the holy city, the New Jerusalem, your dwelling place forever and ever. Lord, thank you for your promise that is unfailing. Thank you, Lord God, for your promise that you yourself uphold. I pray, O oh God, even as we go through this word this afternoon, you will guide us, you will speak to us, you will indeed enlighten our hearts and encourage us, Lord. Even for all that you hold safe, secure, preserved in heaven for all who put their faith in you. Lord, thank you even as you do this and bring us to this place, even as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, we come to uh, bearing in mind what we've just Um, what I just just read, even before the text, so many things come to mind. And um, as others before me have spoken and have said, it is particularly um, going to be just a walkthrough, just really traipsing through to see and get an overview of what God is doing in the revelation what god is revealing here and um indeed as we as we get straight into the passage we 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 see that following on from the judgment where god removes everything that corrupts everything that is stood against the will and the purpose of god now god is going on to reward his servants. He's going on to reward his servants. And as we'll see in the text today, um, we first of all get some highlights of what the new Jerusalem, or what the um, new Jerusalem is, and then we get some details later on in verses from verse 9 of chapter 21 to chapter 22, verse 5 of this new city. So. We start off seeing. Or rather. John starts off. Seeing a new heaven. And a new earth. For the old heaven and the old earth. Have disappeared. If. We were there with John. Or imagine just being in John's place. John didn't recognize the heaven and the earth that. That. He's used to seeing, in what he sees. Nevertheless, he can see it is heaven and earth, and the sea also was gone. The preceding chapters in Revelation, um, we see, or John rather, saw the sea, and he saw loads of monsters come out of uh, monsters and beasts come out of the sea to war against God and the saints. Some of which reflected persecution faced by believers of John's day. But now we see the sea and all that trouble is gone. But central to this passage and to this text that we're looking at is the holy city, the new Jerusalem, which brings God's purposes to final realization. I gave... An illustration or an introduction talking about setting out just to go to the mall over there and being dogged almost in every step with obstacles thrown in the way we read in the beginning and I mentioned uh, Genesis where we see God dwelling with men but here now John sees a holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven, like a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. There are a few things we'll see in the first that are highlighted that I've mentioned in, the, in verses 1 to 8 of our text. We begin. John begins by showing us that there is communion with God. The picture of a bride coming down from heaven the holy city likened to a bride beautifully dressed for her husband i mean been to a few weddings and seen the bride come out of her carriage or car or what whatever Uh, i see i see some faces light up just now as i as i talk about that and great delight in seeing the bride come through there's plenty of conversation about what the bride looks like. Oh, she looks beautiful! Look at that tiara. Look at the. Do you see the open, open um, sandals? And is, is, what's the what's the 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 dress like? And so on. John sees the New Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven like a bride. The picture is one of communion with God. Indeed, intimate, loving and pleasurable communion with God. John doesn't speak, or God doesn't show these things emptily or without any importance for John to see. Think about Jerusalem as well in itself. Jerusalem being that that city that God gave to the people of his, his own people as a city where he put his name in the Old Testament. It was a site of a temple of God ordained to be built for men to come to God. Not just the people of God, not just individuals, but even the whole nation could come and have fellowship with God at Jerusalem. You will remember Solomon dedicating the temple and asking the question but as he built it will God really live on earth among men in 2nd Chronicles chapter 6 and verse 18 but again some of us would remember that very popular passage you know that talks about Jerusalem as that place that God referred to where he says then if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from the wicked ways. I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and restore their land. The thing is, as John's seeing this imagery of a holy city, of the new Jerusalem before him, he begins to hear some more announcements. As we go on to verse... um, Three of the text. He hears a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. But we just see the picture of Jerusalem that John has is one of the old picture. See for anybody in his audience listening to him, hearing about Jerusalem, they'd be thinking about the temple where men could not get past even the outer court and into the holy place, and into the holy of holies to be with God. But here is a a new thing that's happening in this new Jerusalem. God's home is now among his people. He will live with them. They will be his people. God himself will be with them. I don't know what prospect that gives you when you think about being actually with God. I mean, right now, it's comfortable, it's easy to an extent to pray to God, God who we cannot see, right? But imagine being in the very presence of God, something that God is making new, That's a new thing about the new Jerusalem, about the holy city. God will be there himself. Pictures come to my mind of Moses pleading with God in the wilderness after God's vexed by the people's sin, by the people not faithfully choosing to walk with God or even just simply follow instructions, just listen to god's commandment and listen to what moses says follow not grumble but god tells moses listen you know what I, I i'll just give you tokens so that you can have tokens of god's presence among you but here god is going to be among his people that's possible now because looking back God has taken care and gotten rid of everything that is opposed to him that offends that causes offense in his presence in chapter 20 and verses 14 and 15 they've been removed from his presence and here now God is going to be among his people isn't that joyful great prospect to be right there with God My hope is that it is. If on the other hand it isn't, then it's worth questioning and asking, on what basis then do I hope to be in the presence of God? Because at the end of the day, our faith and our promise, our hope, the salvation we look forward to is going to be realized in this way, God, where we come to be, Right in the presence of God, God living right where we are among us, in the New Jerusalem, in His very presence. God will really dwell. He will live and tabernacle among His people. Guess what? Further announcements, new features of the New Jerusalem. God will take away all those things that bring grief, that bring that corrupt. They've already been removed, in fact. Death, sorrow, mourning, crying, pain, those are gone forever. Those are gone forever. I'm sure just thinking and even reflecting personally, as I look across this room and speak to anyone hearing my voice, we can identify with death. We can identify with sorrow, the pain of loss. We can identify with things that have caused outcry. Real strong cries out to God. Why, why, why? The people in Ukraine now, busy screaming to God. Just last week, we hear reports of about 300 people, women, children, sheltering in a theater in Mariupol, bombed and they died there. Tell me these will not cry out to God. But those things in the New Jerusalem, in the Holy City, gone. They will not be there. What great prospects indeed. Do you look forward to these? Do you want to be there in that New Jerusalem? Well, Suffering and death no more. And all these things are gone forever. Now imagine John's audience facing persecution and hearing these things. Obviously, that would be a great comfort. Definitely a great comfort. And (laughs) I made a note to myself here. John says that um, he will wipe away, in fact, it's it's, it's the one from the throne announcing he will wipe every tear from their eyes. I'm like, what? God himself will wipe away every tear from my eyes? Listen, in that case, let me just cry a river. Let me cry hard if it's God himself who's going to comfort me. You know what? Something that I learned even in, um, even in you know, for, for anyone, for example, for anyone who's going through any challenging times even just in terms of personal growth and personal development finding that oh you look back and wow this is the thing that in psychology they call it what what they call it the inner child looking back to childhood experiences where there wasn't even that connection no father figure coming to say you know, where we could run back to and get comfort and get encouragement, get support. Here is, the, here is God himself providing that comfort. Here is God himself wiping away every tear from their eyes and assuring in himself, by himself, God who is almighty, able to do all things, Coming to the level of, sorry, wiping the tears from their eyes. What great joy. That's an idea that many will find. What? No way. Men can't have anything to do with God. Excuse me. If God ain't doing the comforting, who is going to comfort me? Another one like me? Another man like me? who himself is also afflicted, troubled. I look for the comfort of God. And then, further announcements about the new Jerusalem. The one sitting on the throne said, look, I'm making everything new. Look, I am making everything new. What's going on here? What's John describing? Surely, as features of the new, um, of the new Jerusalem, there are things that God is doing that fulfill the promises that He holds and preserves for all who put their trust in Him. Let me just refer to just one of one such thing. If we turn in our Bibles, or just, or, or let me just refer to this in First Corinthians, in Paul's first letter to the church in Corinth, he's having a long conversation about believers who. Um, facing challenge, facing persecution, yet still question, how will this salvation come about? What will it be like? What's it going to be like? Are we going to be just living in these bodies and then that's all the hope we have, continuing our existence in this world, in this form? And from verse 50 of chapter 15 of Paul's letter to the Corinthians, the first letter, he explains. What I'm saying, dear brothers and sisters, is that our physical bodies cannot inherit what will last forever. So we're getting an idea, an insight into what new things God is doing here. He's making everything new, he says. And the new new things, he says, or Paul explains and gives us an insight of this, but let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. We will not all die, but we will all be transformed. So there's a transformation to come. There's a transformation to take place. This is the nature of the new things that God is doing. He will make all things, when he says he will make all things new. Um. So, those who are living will be transformed, our dying bodies. And listen, there is every ample evidence of this. As we age, we get to see those knees play up. You know, we get to see our physical strength just dissipate. We get to see those six packs become a one pouch. (laughs) You know, and... There's so many things, you know. But, and you think, how much much more can I get out of this? You know, it takes too much of an effort to go to the gym. But you see, there will be a transformation. Does anybody want to say amen to that? (laughs) Our dying bodies will be transformed into bodies that will never die. Mortal bodies... Will be transformed into immortal bodies. I'm not talking Neo here. (laughs) Immortal bodies. Then, when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, this scripture will be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. And indeed, death has already been swallowed up in victory in the last. In the, in the last passages, in the, in the first passage I read, in, in, the, in chapter 20 and verse 14 and 15 of Revelations. God is bringing these things about. This may be news to somebody, but it is news worth investigating. If you ever doubted, if you ever questioned, if you ever thought, oh, These Christians, again, and all their talk and stories and fables, this is magical stuff. We're not talking magical stuff here. How do you suppose everything in existence right now is sustained except by the one who spoke it all into existence in the first place? All science does is really just discover what he's put in place. That's all it is. Scientific method only goes so far. It doesn't go beyond what it can touch and tell you this is metal because it is, it is of a certain characteristic. That's as far as it goes. It doesn't go into the metaphysical. It doesn't go beyond there. Thankfully, it knows its place. But here, God, who speaks his word, and it comes to pass, as we'll see in a moment. He says, he speaks of these things. He speaks of doing new things. I suspect I am preaching this rather than just walking and doing a flyby. But (laughs) we get to verse 6 and ah let's let's let's, let's I skip this we begin to see as well one of the things again that is a feature of this new kingdom and this is this has always been there we get to see the trust we get to learn about and see about the trustworthiness of god because he says write this down for what i tell you is trustworthy and true you know <laughs> next is it next month no two months time in May I think there's local elections all across the UK I don't know who you're voting for and I don't mean to throw shade on politicians but they can only say so much and deliver only so much if anything at all of the things they say because it's not in their absolute and sovereign power to do anything can speak election promises when performance time comes and you pick up those you know election leaflets that you got in the door or when they came knocking and greeted you for first time in four years or five years and you look at how they're doing you think I don't see anything holding true here trustworthy no definitely not let me not let me not go off on a rabbit trail. You know, there's there's some votes I, there's, some, there's some elections I wish I could could come round. I, I wish. Oh, there's some elections I think have not come round fast enough <laughs> because there's some people who want to vote out of office right now because they're not trustworthy. But he says what I tell you is trustworthy and true. And he also said. It is finished. In other words, it's done. Job done. It's accomplished. How can you say such things? I am the alpha. I originate. I start stuff. And the omega. I finish what I start. The beginning and the end. Just in case you didn't hear it correctly. To all who are thirsty... In other words, what God's doing here, everything that he said he will do, he's announcing personally. John highlights the fact that the one on the throne is saying all these things. And he says, to all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of water, of the water of life. Whew. There's so much to say about the living water, about the springs of living water in Scripture. But one that comes clearly to mind is Jesus having a conversation with a man called Nicodemus. And having a conversation with him about, hey, except a man be born again, he cannot Enter into the kingdom of God. This is relevant and important to what, we're, to what John is saying here. And he helps us out a bit. Because here's, what's, here's what Jesus says about those who are born again. In, because Nicodemus asked him a question. "What are you saying born again? Are you saying that me, big grown man, find my way back into my mother's womb. And then she gives birth to me a second time. And Jesus explains, what is born of the flesh, that kind of birth you just described, Nicodemus, that's human birth. But what is born of the spirit is spirit. And then he tells him how, um, and in another place as well, talking to a woman by a well in Samaria, that... Whoever drinks of this water, I realize I've skipped from one instance of the, talking about the Holy Spirit to another. Um, whoever drinks of the water that I give, out of him will flow fountains of living water. All these depicting the spiritual life that is sustained, that is supplied, that is provided, that is sustained by God himself. In other words, the point the Alpha and the Omega makes here is this. I will give freely from the springs of the water of life that the life that these who will live in his presence will have, he will sustain it. He's the one who originates it. He's the one who who establishes it. He's the one who also sustains it. And all who are victorious will inherit all these blessings. So, we may be thinking and asking at this time, and I hope we are, on what basis then? How do we get into this kingdom? Since this is a, this, into this New Jerusalem, since this will be the place where God will dwell with his people, will I enter in? Will I be able to get in there? Will I? Um, entering by my ability by my strength the picture we get here is listen the one who gives us life by virtue of faith and believe and trust in what in the work that Jesus Christ has done to take away sin is the one who sustains it is the one who supports it is the one who enables it and quickens that life we will not by any means of our own effort our own strength enter into this um, new Jerusalem but the Lord himself will bring us in there he's the one who begun this work um, and like Paul wrote to to Timothy, he who begun this work in you, he'll be faithful to complete it and perfect it and bring us to perfection in Christ Jesus. Now, um, as we hear these announcements about the, the New Jerusalem, there's something interesting about it. Rather than, it's whilst it's likened to a bride, this city is also... The bride of Christ. The city is the bride of Christ. And we get some more detailed description of it in the rest of our text. So, we begin to see in the text that whilst we enjoy this personal in- intimacy and so on, this, one of those angels who has who had the seven bowls containing the seven last plagues involved in taking away everything that is opposed to God, calls John in verse 9 for a little show and tell. John, come with me. Let me show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he took him in the spirit to a new vantage point so that he gets a final vision and indeed to underline the importance of this vision. There are a few things that are are there, indeed just symbolic and showing us again that um, this is God's meeting place with men. So it takes him to a great high mountain. Again, just indicating the high place where God had put his name in Jerusalem, the place of worship, the place of the temple. And he shows him again the holy city. This was like a place where God would meet with human beings. I mean, it's not as if God hadn't met with men before. It's not as if God had not dwelt with men before. Um, apart from the Garden of Eden and in the, in the, in the Exodus, in the wilderness, in the, uh, the, the tent of meeting... And also in the temple that Solomon built. And then we had Christ coming to be with us. If you remember in John chapter 1 and verse 14, Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us. So, but then, talking about the city itself, John begins to highlight the character of the city. Look at a few things there it shone with the glory of God and it sparkled like a precious stone like jasper as clear crystal, verse 11. Essentially, the majesty, the awesomeness and the glory of God is just um, something that is prominent about this city because in this city, whilst it is both the dwelling place of God, it is also the people of God made to be the dwelling place of God. Remember that in Scripture we're told about the people of God who are being brought together as living stones uh, to be a dwelling place for God. And here the city is made by God and he fills the city with his glory. So, although there are precious crystals there, things that are precious, um, precious crystals, things which, indeed, people find really, really attractive. I mean, um, you hear that adage that it's not just a girl's best friend, diamonds. That diamonds are precious, and everybody does. I mean, a lot of people do love them. As they say, the beauty of it is in the eyes of the beholder. But this is just to depict the immense glory of God um, and his presence being in that city. Some of the features, the city city wall was um, broad and high with 12 gates guarded by 12 angels. And the names of the 12 tribes of Israel were were written on the gates And then there were three gates east, north, south, and west. We get a picture here again of, or imagery of, the city being one that is comprised of the people of God, both the people of covenant in the Old Testament, with a reference to the 12 tribes of Israel depicting that, and then The 12 foundation stones which the city had, verse 14, on them were written the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Again, imagery just depicting um, that the holy people of God in the Old Testament and the holy people of God in the New Testament. The teaching and the leadership of the 12 apostles indeed forms... The holy people of God in the New Testament. So, all this is just to show that the integrity of the of and the careful organization of the of the city of God, um, depicted in all of these 12s as we've been going through our Revelation, seeing the symbolic importance of this to John's readers they'll be able to identify, and remember, the 12 tribes, the 12 apostles, as um, they hear of this from John. Now, even the dimensions of the city, even the dimensions of the city, and the material that, is, that it is made of, just basically go to show the immense and profound purposes of God that will be realized. When you think about the size of the city, I mean, 1,400 miles high, wide, and long, made of the most precious um, crystals or precious stones, and each of these stones, by the way, would be stones that the, that John's hearers would recognize as being stones that were found on the breastplates of the old um uh, levitical priests the what the high priest who would go into the presence of god had these stones on a breastplate that he wore when going to minister before god so the city in itself is just a representation another symbolic representation of the um of, of God's people being involved in the most intimate dwelling place of God. One thing that John noticed there, or a couple of things that John noticed in the city, verse 22 of Revelation 21, was that he saw no temple for the city. For the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. I mean, the temple was more or less a meeting place. The temple was a place where people would come to pray, where people would come to offer, make offerings, intercede, seek forgiveness, bring their judgments for God to determine. But what need is there for a temple now where God is right there in their midst and in the city dwelling with the people? And he has no need for sun of sun or moon for the glory of God illuminates the city. And the lamb is its light. Now. Some key. Some of the key things that um, he highlights about this new Jerusalem. The nations will walk in its light. The kings of the world in all their glory. Just reflecting again. Another, some more imagery in Revelation, just reflecting again the diversity of the people who would come into the city. Contrary to, I mean, as, 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 I, as we read this and think about it, it's quite easy to just see um, others who we probably can't imagine would have anything to do with God being part of the people of God. But the vision is so comprehensive in its scope and revealing that the nations will walk in its light. The kings of the world will enter in all their glory. There is, uh, the nations will bring their glory and honor into the city. So, whereas for us, humanly speaking, we might imagine there are peoples and cultures who will probably not have anything to do with God. We see here diversity even reflected in those who will come to, to bring their glory and honor into the city. And again, we're reminded of what has already taken place in verse 27 of Revelation 21. Nothing will ever be allowed to enter, nor anyone who practices shameful idolatry and dishonesty but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. That has already taken place. But giving us a picture that, look, um, whilst all of humanity will come in there, um, this, this, this city as it is will not need itself to be shot because as, as, we, as we, sorry, I skipped, I, skipped a, I skipped a couple of verses there talking about the gates of the city not being shot. Its gates will never be closed at the end of the day because there's no night there. Whilst the city is walled and gated and as if it needed protecting, these gates will never need to be shut because everything that corrupts, everything that defiles is already taken care of and removed. God himself assuring the security, the safety of this new Jerusalem. Now, as we get into uh, the final few verses, there are a few elements that are there just again showing us pictures of that purpose that God set out to accomplish, and that he's actually now redeeming. The angel showed me a river with with the water of life clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Um, It flowed down the center of the main street And on each side of the river grew a tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, with a fresh crop each each month. The leaves were used for medicine to heal the nations. No longer will there be a curse upon anything. If you remember, right in the beginning, very early on in the Bible, we see we read about God Cursing, the, the cursing mankind, cursing the serpent. And for the throne of God and of the Lamb will be there, and his servants will worship him. And cursing and frustrate, really consigning things to frustration, things that God had made to be good, man would find toil and difficulty realizing and gaining and benefiting from the things that God has established and put in place. But here, we see the abundance of God's blessing pronounced because there will not be a curse upon anything. The abundance of God's blessing is pronounced because um, indeed the, there is, God is right there in the middle of his people and all those things that God had established to make it possible for us to be in perfect communion with him are preserved because right there together God's servants will worship him they will see his face And his name will be on their foreheads. And there will be no night there. Um, What we see here is a restoration. A redemption of of broken, fallen of, of the earth. We see a redemption even of those who have been created in the image of God. We're seeing mortality... Eclipse and take over, we see immortality rather, eclipse and take over mortality. And we see fullness of life restored in fellowship, man and God in communion come together because there is an unbroken communion between God and men. Indeed, this is not something we see right now but thanks to God we are given a trailer to look into and to see what is held in store for all who will hold on to the finished work that Jesus Christ has done as the source of the life of God because we can't get in there by ourselves We can't get in there by our own strength. We can't get in there by our own competence. We need God to do this and to hold us up, to hold all things together. And here we see ourselves or here those who overcome see themselves in fellowship with God, sustained by God, abundantly blessed in his presence, the most magnificent dwelling place, right there with God together forever. Um, I'm mindful that just begun just get running close to an hour but I, I can't um, close this off without making this appeal and making this call what hope do we have of being with God in his very presence forever forever What do we count on or rely on to enjoy and access the unlimited, unhindered blessing of God? What is our hope? What do we count on? What do we rely on? What do we depend on for this? There is only one plea that we have and it is On him, God himself, who came, dwelt among us, took on flesh, went to the cross, offered himself as a sacrifice to take away everything that corrupts, everything that separates us from him. He took that away upon himself, that anyone trusting in him may have this hope of dwelling in his presence forever and ever and ever and ever with the strength, with the sufficiency, with the provision that God himself provides. This is the hope that we look forward to and that is revealed to us in the marriage of heaven and earth in this new Jerusalem, in the new heaven and earth. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for this insight. Thank you, Lord, for showing us these things. Indeed, as we consider this word, even in the revelation of Jesus Christ, you truly have been gracious. You mean us well. You mean us good to show us all of these things. And Father, my prayer is that Even as we've read through your word today and just walked, talked through, seeing what you have revealed. All the things showing your plan, your intention, your redemption. Lord, I pray that um, where there be any questions, where there be any doubts, where there be any querying like, listen, you cannot just make these assertions like this. I pray that the questions follow and that you by your spirit give the answers making them clear so that all the propaganda of the enemy that still goes out now saying this is all stories and fairy tales Lord, all of that will be laid to rest consigned where it belongs away from your presence so that there is a sure enduring faith In Jesus Christ, that saves. Thank you for all of this, Lord. Even as we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.